Mama, it's happening right now. Little Tova couldn't contain her joy. She looked forward to this time every single year. Her city of less than 100,000 grew dramatically to more than 300,000. She loved the energy. She loved the talking. She loved how her city exploded with life as the earth exploded with life. It was spring. But it wasn't just the energy and life around her. It was the most sacred week of the entire year. Passover was beginning. Families came together, they told stories, they ate meals, and they celebrated their exodus from Egypt. In little Tova's city, Jerusalem, everybody was doing something. Even the Romans, the rulers of the city, also seemed to have a parade each year. Tova loved parades, but her parents, her family, her people mostly hid looks of bitterness as the parade went by. She didn't get it. She was just a kid. She didn't fully understand the looks. Her parents did know, though. They knew what they were watching. You see, for the last number of years, the local Roman governor, Pilate, would travel the 60 or so miles from his coastal villa to enter the western entrance of Jerusalem. He didn't travel alone either. He was at the head of columns of imperial troops and foot soldiers. He was, a, he was the leader of this time. There was, this was no march to honor the religious devotion of his Jewish subjects. He was there in case there was trouble. His troops were there as reinforcements. And as the current ruling empire, he was concerned reasonably about a festival which celebrated Jewish liberation from an earlier empire. Pilate was there to proclaim two things. One, the power of the empire, and two, Roman imperial theology. You see, the ruler of Rome carried divine title. It started with the emperor Augustus. The story was that Augustus' father was the Greek god Apollo. And as long as the family line continued, the emperor of Rome was not simply the ruler of Rome. The ruler was also the son of God. And this was spit in the face of every Jewish follower. This wasn't done gently either. There's always a volume that accompanies parades. You think it's just all clatter and symbols, but there's a rhythm to it. You hear it before the people are ever seen. The thundering of horse hooves. The drums keeping a solid beat by those on foot. The marching itself, each person in step with the other. By the time the noise and the people reach you, you see each strike of the drum. Your senses are being used. You see each foot soldier striking the ground with their foot, dust rising up with each solid step. And the sun, the sun would hit their swords, their shields. It would reflect into your eyes and reflect all around you, shooting beams of light. You can hear their leather armor creaking as they marched by. Pilate, at the head of these columns, mightily rode his war horse. 
The legions would carry the banners of the symbols of Rome. A golden eagle mounted on the top of a pole. These were symbols of power. In war, if these eagles were lost in the battle, no effort was too much to recover them. History shows that decades were spent to reclaim them and rightfully put them back at their place, looking down on the people. Power, glory, violence. These were the things that ruled the empire. Some were awed, in complete awe of the sheer number of people that were out, the weapons that were used, the intimidation and the show of strength. Some were curious, but many were resentful in Jerusalem. As interesting as all this was to little Tova, her explosion of joy earlier, it's happening, Mama. It wasn't about the Roman entry on the west side of the city. You see, Tova lived on the east side of the city, smiling and with distracted patience. Her mother questioned, is that right, dear? Continuing to work with the project in her hands. How do you know? Listen, Mama. Just listen. Turning her head to the window, Mama closed her eyes and tilted her head to listen for the clues that a movement was starting. And she heard it. Son of David, have mercy on me. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. More people were shouting now. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Others, blessed is the coming kingdom. Son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king of Israel. Standing and walking to a place where she could see what was happening, she gasped at what she saw. Tova's mother repeated the words that she'd been taught by the generations before her. The generations that heard the words of the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. Tova knew the words as well. She finished the prophecy with her mother. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. A peasant procession on the east side of the city was challenging the imperial procession on the west side of the city. It wasn't an outrageous showing, but it was still subversive. This peasant procession was led by a man on a donkey, clippity-clapping his way into the city through the back door. No warhorse. And his message was about a new kingdom, a new reign, a new king. Sounds to me like a threat to the status quo. The people that were with this man on a donkey were boisterous. They were taking off their cloaks, putting them on the ground for their new leader to travel on. The people had palm branches, and they were waving them in the air. People were singing and shouting. What do you think they were singing? 
Oh, you better not shout, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Some guy on a donkey has come. <clears throat> Likely not. He was more than just some person who would come with little gifts. What did they sing? Whoa! Whoa! He had taken the dead and brought them to life. Whoa! The blind could see and the lame could walk. Whoa! This was our new king. This is the Messiah. This wasn't a parade. This was a protest. This was why Pilate and his garrisons were in the city, just in case. Tova was enjoying it. She saw the energy of the people. She saw the man on the donkey. She made the connection with Zechariah's prophecy. This was the Messiah. This was Jesus. Having stepped a couple feet outside her door with her mother, she continued to watch him and how he was interacting with the crowd. She couldn't make sense of all that she saw. This seemed like a celebration, but tears streamed down the face of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. More was to come this week. She knew it, but she didn't exactly know what was going to happen this week. She decided to let the week play out, to take part in what she could and prepare for a new king. The words of Zechariah hung in her head for the rest of the week, though. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Pray with me. Father, just like those early couple days in your triumphant entry into Jerusalem, People are still trying to sort out what it means to go to the ends of the earth. And as our church has journeyed, Lord, and as we worship today, Lord, would you speak through me? Would you speak into the hearts of every person here? And would you bless our time? In your name I pray. Amen. Now, the Passion Week continued. Jesus was put on the cross, a death that was used for those in opposition to the Roman Empire. What the empire and his followers, his own disciples, didn't anticipate was that the tomb would be empty and Christ would claim victory. We have the ushers. The ushers have Bibles to pass out. If you don't have a Bible today, if you don't own a Bible at all, raise your hand. It is the same Bible that I use at the podium today. So while they're passing those out, uh, my name is Nicholas Todd. I am the Minister of Mobilization here at LEFC, and we've been in a series called Love Revealed. And there's been a number of extra events that have happened through these weeks. April 8th, 15th, and 22nd are each of the dates of the sermon. This is the last day. 
But our first event was Crossover First Sunday, where with Crossover, they were able to consider what the church in the world looks like today, how we send missionaries, and how the church, Big C, supports frontline missionary work. On April 11th, we shared Chick-fil-A, and we heard about the work happening in Singapore and why it is such a strategic location in the world. On April 15th, we had an event called The Countdown. Eight different religions were represented in this room. And as the night came to a close, we were able to pray with an informed and educated mind about the people coming from other religions and the hurdles that exist for them to follow Jesus. April 18th, we shared some fried chicken and waffles. And we heard representatives from one of our missionary partnerships come and talk about the anti-human trafficking efforts being done in Thailand. And today, we wrap it all up. Not forever, though, because what we communicate with you today is something we will carry with us into the future. Today is the last of a series, but not the last of our efforts. We're still in the beginning. Let me tell you a little bit about where my narrative this morning came from. Um, on the back of your bulletin, there's a place where you can write down references. Today, my primary sources are Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. These are the synoptic gospels. And also Zechariah 9. There's also secondary support coming from Jewish historians, Roman mythology, and historical Roman welfare. Where did we come from? Week one, Pastor Tony kicked off this series by talking about our God. He outlined scripturally who God is, the character of God. In other sermons, he's talked about the creation of the world, that we have been made in the image of God. And just two weeks ago, Pastor Tony said, God has reached out to us. Tony's primary text was Moses in the burning bush. And he camped out in the Old Testament the whole time. This is the foundational sermon for all that we do. Not just in the church, but in all of life. Big summary right here where we place God in our lives and our view of God determines what we do and how we go about life. If we do not have a high view of God, then we do things simply because it's our duty. Duty does not sound like the freedom that you hear Christians talk about in Christ. We owe it to God. We owe him to do this. <laughs> this is the life of a Christian. Let me tell you something. This week in the church office, flowers were delivered. A husband, the husband, bought flowers for his wife and then hand-delivered them to the office. When he saw her, he said, hey, sugar pie, it's my duty. <laughs> now, two things are wrong here. <laughs> One, he didn't actually say sugar pie, and neither should any of you, all right? <laughs> two, he did not say it was his duty. This was an overflow of his heart for his bride. This was love. Let's talk about last week with Ed Sherman. 
Our elder, Ed Sherman, talked about our missionary God. It was the character of God combined with the love from God that gave us Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Think about our Bible today as a missionary effort by God to bring truth to us so that we might be better able to understand our creator and have a glimpse of what the Lord has for us and what he has done since the beginning of time. Ed shared part of Psalm 46.10. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But going back to Zechariah 9 even, we can look at Psalm 46.8-10. through There's more to it. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Ed also gave a statement from 20 years ago. This phrase makes me feel old. I'm not that old. But still, 20 years ago, John Piper said, missions exists because worship does not If we establish who our God is, then worship must be our response. How could we not worship? One of my favorite jokes in in my head, doesn't go too public, is that Pastor Ken Martin, our worship pastor, has the biggest job of everybody. He is the pastor of worship. And think about how we worship. We worship with our giving, our singing, our preaching, our sending, our study of God's word, and our sacrifice. Romans 12:1 Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship So Pastor Ken has a big job ahead of him Now that's not really how things shake down in the office but I do love how ardent of a worshipper Pastor Ken is But does God even want that John 4:23 let me summarize God is seeking out Worshippers. Missions exists because worship does not, and God is seeking out those worshipers. Well, welcome to, it, to today. First, we must first personally determine who God is in our own life. So I can speak for myself. I have an unbelievable, remarkable God. My God knows no boundaries, no limitations, is the ruler of all creation. Today is Earth Day. We don't worship the created, we worship the creator, and his fingerprints are all over it. God is just without beginning and end, and the giver of the greatest love gift ever through Jesus Christ. And these things demand a response of worship. And the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is not a common choice for a missions sermon, but I think it's fitting. I think the mission of Christ in the triumphal entry, combined with the rest of Scripture, shows that we have a Savior that made intentional choices to create teams, to make a plan, and to enter into the fray of humanity so that we might mimic such behavior for the glory of God. Mark 11 will be our primary chapter for the day. This is page 708 in the Bible the ushers passed out. Page 708. If 
you're not quite sure where Mark is, second book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark. We'll be looking at Mark 11, 1 through 11. Follow along with me. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the city, uh, in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. First, I would like to look at verses 1 and 2. Even just the first two words, as they... Jesus traveled in a group. He traveled with this group. He put his teams together strategically for the future of the church. They witnessed all that he had done, the miracles, the teachings, the rebukes. And this team was significantly important. He didn't send them to go get that donkey one-on-one -on -one with the donkey. He sent them out in twos. They don't do things solo and in isolation. Now, in our life, stepping away for reflection on something is good, but we step back into community as we seek to understand the role God has for us. The interim pastor before Pastor Tony shared this with me just in the last couple months, that one of Pastor Tony's key skill sets that impressed him the most was his ability to build a team. And what they knew was that for a church to survive, the right team had to be put together. He then waxed on to the point that I thought, oh, crap, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Building the team is essential. Absolutely essential. You choose the right people, you put the team together, you operate well together, you follow those instructions. Verses 3 to 6. Jesus sends two of his team to go get a colt. He gives instructions on what to do. Some people say that this was a random donkey at a random home with some random people. If you can't tell by the tone in my voice, I disagree. Here's why. Have you ever pre-ordered food at a restaurant? Have you ever put a book on hold at the library? Have you ever sent someone to pick those things up for you? It involves some pre-planning. When I need to pick up a library book for my family, I'm usually given some instruction. Go to the library, tell them you are there for this book, give some ID, they give it to you, walk out. 
Pretty simple. But I was given those instructions. I gave someone instructions today who's going to go uh, get some food for luncheon. Go to the restaurant, walk up to the register, look for bags of food, make eye contact with the person behind the register. When they ask you what you are doing, tell them the master sent you. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, that would have been great when they said, what's your name? Who should we hold this for? I should have said master. <sighs> Man. I said, tell them your name and that you're there for the food and we'll get the supplies back to them. They'll let you go. It takes intentional, strategic planning for getting a book at a library, for preparing food for a luncheon, to just picking up a meal. You give that instruction. Jesus was ushering in, not a luncheon, but a new kingdom. This was intentional, strategic behavior. Verse 7 through 11, there was some fanfare, some donkey riding, some worship, some protest. And I love verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So here we are. Jesus had assembled his team. He gave instructions. He marched into Jerusalem and took inventory of the situation. He went to sleep to get ready for the next day. You know what happened the next day? It's not in the text right now, but it's what's next. He cleared the vendors from the temple courts. And he did this so that Gentiles could worship. Missions exists because worship does not. God is searching for worshipers. Jesus has a plan. He's done the pre-work. He's given the instruction. He enters Jerusalem, takes inventory. He sees there's no worship space for the Gentiles, and he makes space for worshipers. It's Beautiful. Church, today I want to present something that few have seen. Staff, elders, and the high school crew that were at our first Sunday gathering on, event, on April 8th, they have, they have seen this. We have considered as a church our own approach to strategically engaging the world. That if other churches were to come to us and ask us about our global direction, if they were going to copy and contextualize their global direction there would be tremendous potential for soul transformation across the globe. Now, oikos is a key part of that. It is identifying those people in your sphere of influence and directing them to the glory of God. But what happens when there is no Christian in a sphere? What do we do then? We strategically, we intentionally go. What you see on the screen is the region of the world that we believe the Lord has led us to. And to talk more about that, I would love for Pastor Tony to join me on stage. Pastor Tony, you, um, you're preparing for a sabbatical. You've been here for seven years now. I've been here for four and I would love for you 
to help all of us understand this journey. Can you tell the congregation what the journey has been like in identifying a region of the world? So um, <clears throat> I have to be honest, that in my, in my years of growing up as a, as a person in a, in a pastoral household, somebody that was involved in youth ministry, I didn't have much exposure to the rest of the world. I had exposure to rural America. And uh, it wasn't until I was in, just out of college that I began to be more exposed to the regions of the world and, uh, and began to have a heart. And so there's a personal journey, but then there's a leadership journey in this. And so uh, as a youth pastor for several years, I ended up taking uh, multiple teams across the world to different places doing short-term missions. And God really sowed a seed in my heart for vision for not just America where I'm called to serve, but beyond. And so when given the opportunity to become senior pastor, uh, one of the things that I, I began to um, feel a little bit of tension inside of me was that if, if we are very strategic and intentional about how we do ministry here in the States, uh, we need to apply the same intentionality and in ministry to our global response. And uh, at the time, I, I felt like we basically were responders, not initiators. Uh, so we responded to the calls of God upon individual hearts, and we responded in kind by supporting them, blessing them, and sending them. But we didn't do anything in, in initiating, per se, Lord, we would want to send people to a certain part of the world. Lord, we would like to expose people to a certain part of the world and, uh, and to be able to have uh, a critical mass of movement that going into a particular part of the world. And so there was a lot of um, prayer and discernment because I'm not sure personally how to lead that out. And, and, uh, and so about three years into our time, we hired you to be a part of that team. And... Um, and we began the journey of consideration, and we looked at different places of the world. And, and one of the things I've discovered just as I've done ministry you know, around me is that I find that you see the most fruit when you are looking for where God is moving around you, and you just simply join Him in the journey. Some of you might have uh, read the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It's a classic. Uh, it basically, you look and see where God's moving, and you join Him there. And, uh, and so I began to apply that even in my own life. I saw you applying it, like, where, as we were thinking, like, on more human sense of, well, strategically, this makes sense for these reasons and so on, uh, but even watched you keep coming back to this because of what we were seeing God doing and uh, joining him in his work. And so, um, yeah, that's... that's the journey. And, and so we did look at other places of the world, but we kept coming back here because we felt like God is moving there, at least in our midst, and how we are seeing how God is using LAFC in the world. This is where we see him, for some reason, calling this little church in the middle of a one little county of the country, and yet calling us to the other side of the world. So, uh, so that you all know, um, I have hesitated. Initially, uh, some of you know I lived in this region of the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where the Lord has called a body. And for me, initially, it was a struggle. Well, just because I know it doesn't mean that this is where we go. And so we explored. In fact, I felt like because you're probably a little bit more 
um, playing devil's advocate in your own soul because you, you had a heart for this region of the world having served there for nine years. And, and, uh, and for me, I didn't have a connection. This is probably the one region of the world I have not been. And uh, so to feel like God is calling us there, it's a little bit like God calling Paul to Macedonia. Paul hadn't been to Macedonia. And, uh, and I feel that tension right now inside of me. It's like, okay, I'm going to go there next year, but it's, you know, at this point, I've never been there. But yet, I, I'm absolutely confident in God's calling us there. Um, and some, some things that are very interesting about this part of the world. Uh, 53% of the world's population is in that circle right there. 53%. And we're not even, that, that, the land mass there is not even close to 53% of the world's land mass. But yet, 53% of the world's population is there. Uh, the, all Buddhist countries fall in that circle. 99% of the Hindu faith falls in that circle. Uh, when you consider what's outside that circle, um, it is 58% of, of the rest of the world's population outside that circle is Christian. Uh, and only 9% in that circle is Christian. So when you consider if the rest of the world is 58% Christian, but in this circle where 53% of the world lives is only 9%, that should grab our attention, and, and it certainly has grabbed mine. And part of the thing that where I say, you know, I kind of hinted at this, is that God has been at work in this church here in reaching... For whatever reason, this part of the world is where God keeps putting upon people's hearts that are from this congregation. Again, they're responding to the Lord's call. Uh, we're seeing a movement of our missionaries going there, not because of an initiation on our part, but a God initiative. And we have right now eight people, eight households that serve in those areas. They, they, their oikos is there, and they are sent by this church to be there and serve there. We have two more that are in the pipeline that are about ready to go uh, to that region of the world. And this is a significant percentage of our resources as mission, because we have over $400,000 we give towards missionaries uh, and mission opportunities in the, around the world. And a good portion of it is there. Even our home-based missionaries, our domestic missionaries, are serving as backline to this region of the world. We have missionaries in Florida who their sole ministry is to Chinese students that are educating at the University of Florida. They reach them for Jesus there, and then they send them back to China to reach others for Christ. We have missionaries that are in the Pacific Northwest that are there that are preparing pilots to going into very uh, rural and hard-to-reach peoples in that circle, helping pilots know how to fix their own planes and be able to survive in the bush country. We have people that are in the Carolinas that are writing scripture uh, to align with the languages that are of the people groups in that area. And so even some of our home-based people that are beyond the 10 we're talking about in that circle are serving the people in that circle. And so I'm just looking and saying, well, then, of course, we should join God where God's already at. <laughs> That's good. The, um, we're, we're in an interesting season here at the church. And um, I think most of you have heard of creating space, expecting harvest, uh, summarized to the, the building plan. And it was amazing to hear about how this building is going to change Kidman, how this building is going to change crossover, our youth ministries, how it's going to change our adult space and our worship space. What about our mobilization? Yeah. <laughs> so let me tell you what is a dangerous statement to make. It's dangerous to say 
you shouldn't do anything here. You should just give it all there. What I observed in my first church that I served at here in Pennsylvania, it was one of the, it had one of the largest, in fact, it had the second largest missions budget of any church in America at the time, back in the 90s. And so missions was on its heart. But the church was at a crossroads. They were bursting at the seams and they wanted to build. And there was a significant contingent of people that said, let's not build. We should just give it all the missions. And it would have been at the cost of that church basically losing all momentum. And what, the, what ended up happening is that the leadership of the church was so convinced, we're, not, we're supposed to be growing and doing ministry here, and then also simultaneously doing ministry across the globe. And if we stop growing here, our mantle across the world will diminish as well. And so at the time, that church was giving about $300,000 to missions. And, uh, and they took on a building project that didn't cause them to step away from missions, but continued to give towards missions. And then the church, I showed up at the church about three or four years after that building project. By the time I came, the missions pro uh, budget was over a million dollars. We were doing more globally because the church was growing here. It, it, was a, it was a simultaneous act of what God was doing locally was going on globally. And if we shut down doing mission work around us locally, then how are we going to even understand what God wants to do in the rest of the world while, you know, while we're sitting on our hands doing nothing here? And so when I think creating space expecting harvest, to me, the harvest isn't just a local harvest. The harvest is a global harvest. And if the Lord sees a church that is thriving and following his lead, loving the things that are upon his heart, I believe he's going to want that to be something utilized in other parts of the world. And, uh, and so it's a simultaneous act that I believe that as God moves in our hearts, he will give us the opportunity and call us to be a part of things across the globe. It's beautiful. Pastor Tony, uh, not part of the plan that we talked about, but um, would you... Would you pray for us as a church? Yeah. Father, I would love to say that our budget is now giving a million dollars to the global work of your kingdom. Lord, I... I don't think in terms of we're blessed here locally because we give globally. Lord, I don't think that's really how you work. I believe you bless because we are looking to you. We are worshiping you. We are being faithful to your Holy Spirit's voice. And when we're following the Holy Spirit, who is your advocate in our hearts, then I am confident that you will help us see not only the needs right around us, but the needs beyond us. And so, God, I pray that our hearts will be bent towards compassion and empathy to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. As I think through the statistics that, that, that a huge portion, almost 90% of the population in these areas of this circle haven't even heard the name Jesus. Lord, I, I am just saying not only us, Lord, but other churches arouse within us a hunger and desire to see your name proclaimed in these parts of the world that have not heard your name, so that they would be a part of the peoples 
that are before the throne worshiping as what was read last week. That they'll be a part of the nations that is talked about that, that we're going to be blessed by the coming Messiah. And now, Lord, that we know the identity of the Messiah, we ask God that as bearers of that name, as we carry that name, that we'll be faithful in our oikos, we'll be faithful in our sphere of influence here, but we'll be faithful to the Holy Spirit's promptings of how we uh, might be cons- uh, part of your global initiatives, your global work uh, in, in proclaiming the name of Jesus, whether that be for our time, our money, or even going for a season of time or going for a, a long period of time, whatever it may be, Lord, that we are responding to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So God, we ask for your favor so that we can proclaim your name faithfully. Jesus, you're the name that's going to be exalted. No church's name, no other uh, entity, but literally, Jesus, it's your name that will be proclaimed. And so we want to be faithful to that. We worship you and you alone. Amen. Seven and a half billion people in the world, and more than half of them live right there. If you're a visual person, if you need to read about global vision, we have a missions wall located outside our sanctuary entrances. And this information is available for you there. There's no secrets about what we're doing. This is available for everybody. Take it home. Pray through it. What's it mean? So what do we do now as a church? What do we do? The procession that Jesus started when he entered Jerusalem continues today as we proclaim the kingdom of God. There are times where we choose to sing some hosannas, wave a palm branch, and then just go home. We're done. But another part of that procession is holding up a mirror in front of your own face. Our Christian profession needs to be riskier than that for his name to be known in these places. And it begins with social risk in this church and in, the, in your own home. So with that, I want to give five steps, five baby steps you might be able to take in the coming weeks and into the summer. Number one, number one, know your oikos. Pray for them, engage them, hope for them. Now this form I'm holding right here, it's used in our membership classes. It is, it's a tool for you to use where you can list the people that are in your sphere of influence. Fill it out. Use it as a bookmark in your Bible. Tape it to the dash of your car. Put it on the mirror in your bathroom. If you're not sure how to pray for you, yourself, or your oikos, there's actually even instructions on the bottom, some promptings on how you can do that. Know your oikos. Number two, get to know our missionaries. Get to know our ministries and how. Get a prayer guide. 
every month at the beginning of the month, um, a prayer guide of our missionaries and our ministries is put out. This bulletin right here, this, this trifold announces um, what is happening in the lives of our missionaries, how we can celebrate with them, and how we can be interceding for them. It is when you enter the sanctuary, and it's also on our missions wall. It's just a small step to grab one of these. Another thing is you can know the flags on the back of our sanctuary. Have you ever seen the flags that are behind you? It's okay, you can look. (laughs) Each flag represents one of our partnerships. And next week, we add another one. If you don't know what the flags are, what they represent, start by going to our missionary wall and glancing at the missionary cards. For many, their location is listed. And there is a direct correlation between their location and the flags that are hanging. You can narrow your search down significantly by starting there. Please don't search flags on Google. You're going to get more than 200. We don't have 200 here. Number three, the nations are coming to us. Specifically, LEFC. Yes, Lancaster County, but specifically LEFC. Open your home to internationals. Every year for the last number of years, we've had a group come in called Mustard Seed. This Japanese group comes in for a couple weeks, and each student needs a place to sleep and a temporary family to have dinner with while the program occurs here at LEFC. It is relatively simple, but yes, you do have to be present with them. You need to feed them breakfast and dinner. During the day, there's a program where you don't have to worry about them. But what you're doing is the nations have come to us. Japan is very developed as a country, but incredibly lost. It has been more than 200 years since the intense persecution almost wiped out all of Christianity. And after 200 years, it has not bounced back. You don't even have to go to Japan to address that. You can welcome them into your home here. There's a connection counter today as Ron, Ron Whiting, who teams up with them, looks for host homes. Number four, I already said this one, the global direction document. This explanation is available at our missions wall. Pray through it. If you don't know how to pray through it, if you're not sure what it means, ask your ABF leader. Ask your life group leader. Ask an elder. Ask a staff person. You pick it up, you read it, and you humble yourself for a moment if you don't understand something. And that's okay. But it allows us to journey together. And number five, at LEFC, we need to consider what the, Lord, what the Lord has for us. We are called to make disciples of all nations. Has the Lord called you away from here? You have been faithful to making disciples here. Has the Lord called you away to the places where there is no Christian in any sphere? If that's the case, have a conversation with us. And some coaching on this. Don't commit to all of these things. You'll fail. I'm serious. We talk about improving our lives. We talk about having more spiritual discipline. And then we choose like 36 things we're going to do. Choose one, maybe two. 
struggle with one or two, become an expert on one or two, and then consider what is next for you. That's the step we can manage. We're going to continue by worshiping in song. You can use this time to pray, to ask forgiveness, to celebrate, to reflect on Scripture, and to ask the Lord what might be next. Receive this blessing. May God bless us with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts and establish where God is in our soul. May God bless us with anger, anger at injustice, oppression, exploitation, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace in his name. May God bless us with tears, tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out with our hands to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy through Christ. And may God bless us with foolishness, enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done. May his love be revealed to the ends of the earth. All glory to God. Amen. Go in peace.